Welcome to the Sober Town Podcast. Let's jump on that train and ride, ride into the wonderful, beautiful world of sobriety. I'm with Sarah Malloy. And I'm here with Elaine Schuyler Neal. And you are rocking out with the Sober Baddies. And today we're going to tackle one of the most asked questions probably ever in the alcohol recovery space. Am I an alcoholic? Yep. So much taboo around and this. outside the alcohol recovery space. Yeah, right, right. So true, so true. <laughs> so we have a list here from the DSM-5. That is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, fifth edition from the American Psychiatric Association. Sounds like some This is reading. the definitive list <laughs> of substance abuse. Yeah, this is some hot reading. Hot sheets. <laughs> um, we have 11 items that we're just going to go down and um, sort of explore. And um, you're invited to join us. So before we begin, I think we need to just envision what a substance abuser looks like. So mm. take a moment, just kind of in the quiet of your mind, and just picture someone who is a substance abuser. Think about what they look like physically. Think about their face. Think about their eyes, their skin. Think about what their legs look like. Think about what they're wearing. Think about where they are what they're doing on a Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. <laughs> think about them at work. Think about their family and their lifestyle at home. I think we've all got something specific keeps people from having a good hard look at alcohol's relationship with them because mm -hmm. we're not there yet. Yeah. And so I invite all of us to take a look at this list and let's try to kind of broaden that image of what a substance abuser looks like. And if you're not ready to examine your relationship with alcohol, that's cool too. I don't know why you clicked on this podcast, but <laughs> you can also examine, you know, because abusing things, it's not just drugs and alcohol. Like you can, as we go through these questions, you can think about your relationship with your phone your relationship with online shopping, your relationship with sugar, coffee, so many things, exercise. Yeah. Anything. So and there's so much curiosity. Don't what? you think like, like sober curious is even its own phase, I think in recovery where you're just trying to like yep. sit back and collect. Totally. So even if somebody is listening yeah. to this and they're not ready to like answer all these hard questions, sometimes even just hearing questions brings up other questions in your own mind. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And this is, this is a space for the sober curious. This is, this is a space for you to just come in and ask some questions. And I think that the whole, like, am I an alcoholic? Cause it's like, where's the line? Where's the line? Am I across the line or am I approaching the line? Where's that line? And it's like, right. I think what we're going to discover, what we've already discovered is that line's different for everybody. Yeah. So, um, so number one on this number one, which we can put a link to in our um, Sober Town podcast um, podcast description, so you guys can actually look at this list. But hopefully, yes. Totally. So take us through the list, Sarah. 
Number one. All right. So number one, taking the substance in larger amounts or for longer than you are meant to. Which I kind of took as, are you slowly drinking more each year? (laughs) Because, you know. Yeah. Which everyone is. Um, And it's also that thing where it's like, I'll come out for just one drink. Mm -hmm. Famous last words. Yeah. Famous last words. Raise your hand if you've ever come out for just one drink and been like, that was good. Bye, everyone. Like, (laughs) you know. So it's, it's that thing where you go, let's just have, let's make a picture of margaritas and then it's two and three and four and four. Well, and I think too, when you look at like so, yeah, your overall this- progression of use, right? Like very few of us can look at alcohol use and say to ourselves, yeah, you know what? This year I drank less than last year. Usually it's like, oh no, I drank more, like a little bit, little by little, you're trajectory of use, usually not for everyone, starts a trend up, even if you're just trying to moderate on some level, maybe that moderation is the same level of, um, like maybe you're able to keep it to once a week, but you still have like three glasses of wine instead of two glasses of wine, or maybe instead of one time a week, now it's two times a week. Those kinds of things you can start to identify maybe, or look at, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, taking the substance in larger amounts or for longer than you're meant to. When you're like, we ended up closing the bar. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm guilty. <laughs> guilty. Uh, you want to read number two? Yes. Two, wanting to cut down or stop using substance, but not managing to, which I find myself uh, thinking of it as do you find yourself promising to drink less and then overdoing it? Because that was a big thing for me, constantly thinking, you know, I, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink it today. Not going to drink this weekend. And then making all these promises that I never really kept, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and also just the idea of when you are considering how much you drink and wanting to cut down, boom, there's your red flag right there. The Mm -hmm. fact that it's coming across your desk and you're going, Hmm, I should probably look at this. That's, that's, that's it right there. And then what we do is we start doing these creative workarounds where we go, I'm just going to drink beer from now on. I'm not going to drink hard alcohol (laughs) or I'm only going to drink after 5 PM or only on the weekends. And so that's that thing where you, and that's where the um, cognitive dissonance starts Mm -hmm. where you want to stop and you try to create logical reasons for stopping tracking it, you know, like on Bridget Jones diary, where she was like <laughs> writing how many drinks she's had. It's that. I forgot about that. That's, Who knew that was like a sober recovery movie? <laughs> yeah. Right. Because I think yeah. there is like a, a, yeah, that, that is something that's, it's really becomes poignant to start to look at when you really want to start stopping but you kind of feel like Mm -hmm. you can't that for me was kind of like Mm -hmm. oh wow I'm noticing this habit of you know I want to not drink today but I end up drinking and I usually had some reason for it there's always a reason my boss was a dick something you know traffic sucked all the things you know there's always a reason there's always Mm -hmm. a rationalization uh, rationalization that fits that you know justification for that moment. Yeah. But 
even just being able to step back and say, and look at that and, and recognize like, oh, wow, yep. I kind of have wanted to stop, but now I seem to not be able to stop as much. Yeah. And for those of you uh, who don't have the uh, DSM-5 in your hand, cognitive dissonance is that thing where you, I want to stop doing it, but there's something in the brain chemistry, you know, of your addiction reasoning that says that, that keeps you going. And so that, that battle, that conflict within you of wanting to stop, but keeping going is what tears you apart and eats your soul. (laughs) Which is why we're all here today. (laughs) So number three, spending a lot of time getting, using, or recovering from the substance. This one, this one rung with me because I didn't really realize this. I was, you know, checked this one until I realized it. Cause I spent a lot of time like planning around alcohol, procuring alcohol. Mm. I spent a lot of time um, organizing like how to take the bus to the concert and you know how to figure out how to ride with somebody else so I wouldn't have to drive um and that that and planning and procuring I I think I've talked about it but I went to my friend's son's high school graduation just recently you know last spring and I thought thank god I'm sober because the old me would have said would have tried to maybe sneak little tiny wine bottles into the fucking high school graduation (laughs) or made sure that we went to the liquor store before we got our seats at that graduation so that we would have wine after the graduation in case the liquor stores were closed. Yeah. That. I know. That is remember being that item number three, spending time getting into recovering from the substance. It's true. There are so many things. And, um, sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes you don't see it. And I found that I saw it more once I quit and then went back to drinking. Like I could see those habits a lot clearer, um, which was useful, I guess, for coming back to, um, after relapsing to coming back to sobriety. But yeah, there was like a time where we were going out and, um, I guess it was Oregon. No, it was upstate New York, totally different places, totally different places, but there were no liquor stores. And I'm like looking up the one liquor store that's open. And I'm like, we must go now it's going to close in 40 minutes. And I felt like my life depended on it. You know, like I had tremendous anxiety around if I didn't get my wine for the night, how was that going to go? You know, yeah, it's a priority. It's Mm -hmm. a priority and you have to, you, you have to plan ahead to make sure. (laughs) Or like, and that's the other, the recovering thing. That wasn't a thing for me personally, but I know it is for, I was like that special professional drinker where I just didn't get hungover or I normalized hangover so much that I didn't complain about them. I just put the charge right through them. But there's a celebrity, I forget who it was, a sober celebrity who said, getting sober was a simple math problem for me. I spent four hours partying and 12 hours recovering. That didn't work out. The math doesn't compute. I'm done. Yeah. And you know, too, it's important to note that like, you know, it takes a while to get to that point where you're like, Oh, which liquor store? When's it closed? Oh my God, bottles in the purse, going to the graduation. Sometimes early on, it can just be as simple as recognizing like, wow, 
I really want this drink right now. Or if you like notice you're at like a gathering, like maybe a wedding and your first priority isn't saying hello to people, but I got to go get in line for that bar, you know, <laughs> like that can be Hell kind yeah. of the first eye opener yeah. when you're just like beelining for the booze, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's, it's a all... priority to you. Oh yeah. And it progresses and the priorities system becomes mm-hmm. all out of whack as you go along. And then, so number four is cravings and urges to use the subject, which is kind of like what we were just talking about, but like, you know, constantly looking for where your next drink is coming from. Are you always looking forward to the drink? Like I would be in like an amazing environment, like a concert. And I would literally be like, where's the bar? Where's the bar? Oh, the bar's way up there. I'll go. I'll go. Don't worry about me. I'll be back in 40 minutes. I'll miss the opening set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Cravings and urges. It occupies the mind. Yeah. It and here's the thing. We don't ha- I don't think that we as humans have to take a thousand percent responsibility for the way that it occupies our mind because we have been conditioned by this society to have it in our mind. I was just this morning listening to NPR and they were doing a whole thing on ASMR, which is like auto sensory meridian response, something, something, something. And they talked about how a beer company used a Super Bowl ad time to do an ASMR ad for beer because it's been proven to sort of stimulate and kind of sparkle your brain in certain ways. Wow. And they're the the beer companies are using it to they want to take that backdoor entrance and get right inside your brain so that you associate with being fun, exciting, exotic, adventurous, unique, you name it. So it's not your fault that you have cravings and urges and it occupies your mind. However, if it does, let's take a look at it and why. All right. Number five, not managing to do what you should at work, home, or school because of substance use. This is so tricky. Here's the thing about this one. Yeah. 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 You go. Because it's not like you're missing class or you're missing work because you're at home hungover on the couch. Okay. This isn't that. This is you not being 100%. You letting things slip, whether it's math or return phone calls or emails or just being more diligent, you know, less safe, whatever. This isn't you just losing your job because you're on a three day bender. This is you not managing to do what you should. Tricky wording. I feel like this is the one that probably kicks people right out of the list because once they get to the the thing, the question where they're like, am I holding down my shit and my job? And can I get my kids off to school? And like, if, if they can, if they can like you know, not check that box, it's kind of like the rest of it becomes irrelevant, you know, because it feels yeah, like totally function, you know, then the rest doesn't apply. And that is such a, a, a risky way to look at it because over yep. time it will start to impact you and you might not even be able to see it. Chances are, it's not going to be in the form of a pink slip or something to that degree. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be like, lack of productivity, feeling bad about your job, feeling bad about your confidence, not being able to contribute on your highest level, feeling foggy as fuck as you're in the office, all of the above. 
and like not getting that promotion. And then you're saying it's not, you're not taking accountability. Like, oh, it's probably because of my substance use or my addiction. It's because my boss is a dick. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's that stuff where you're not reaching your maximum. You're not reaching your, your maximum ability to accomplish things. Yeah. And it all feeds on one another because if you have it in your mind, like, because, you know, if your boss is a dick and you're not functioning at your highest level, it's a lot easier to say, well, my boss is a dick and it's hard to please him and I can't ever seem to do anything right than to actually put yourself under the microscope, do the hard work and say, well, maybe I have been coming into work 20 minutes late or maybe I'm not really meeting my deadlines or whatever it is. Because it's small things. Usually yeah. we function or, enough to or get if fired. I like... For sure. And it's like, it's that thing where it's like back to the time spent at five o'clock every day. If you ring that bell, you could set your watch to the time that you crack that beer. And from five o'clock on, you're not doing anything but drinking. And so it's like, well, maybe if I would have spent last evening while my kids were watching TV, updating my TPS reports, I might've gotten that, (laughs) that, uh, I might've gotten that promotion. You might've gotten that lumberger off your ass. 2000 switch. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe I can remember that. Good one. I'm glad you got that one. But it's that thing where it's like, you're not able to go the extra mile because you're spending your extra mile Mm -hmm. getting together with that substance. Yeah. It's so true. Time and energy is being spent. And here's the other thing that you said, you're like, you know, sometimes people, this one is a tricky one because people cross this one off and go, well, that's not me. The rest of this thing doesn't count. And I think that if you really want to take a look at this list and you really are in a spot where you want to examine alcohol's relationship with you, what you do is you go to this, the DSM-5, you print out this list and you assess yourself on a scale of one to 10 for each Mm -hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. And and then you add that math up, I don't divide by pi and put yourself on a grading scale. And if you if you're getting an A, come on and you know get sober curious, you know. And honestly, D's get degrees. So if you get if you're getting sixty percent of these, it's still an okay time to take a hard look at alcohol's relationship with you. So. That, there's that right there. I like this next one too, continuing to use even when it causes problems in relationships, because I feel like, you know, at some point, like my relationship with alcohol was almost equally as important and equally something to mourn as would be the loss of my marriage, let's say, you know, giving that up, mm-hmm. that crutch that I had was terrifying. You know, it felt like I'm going to lose, you know, the thing that understands me the most alcohol understands there for me. It's there for me. me I have to go out and get it. Yeah. Right. I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (sighs) And I think that that's the, the thing that, you know, this list doesn't say is your relationship with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And the way that that relationship begins to take priority and demand more, it will always, your addiction will always demand more from you. Loyalty wise, you know, attention, money, time, 
all of that. And it will begin to usurp your other relationships with your partner and your kids and your boss and yourself. And yourself. Ooh, that's a big one. It's so true though. Mm -hmm. It totally demands more. Mm -hmm. That's such a good way of putting it too. And it kind of goes back to that time component. Like it's never less. It never like takes its time off. Like, oh, you don't need me today. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. You know, it's like a constant feeding. Yeah. yeah. You always will find a way to fit it in at the high school graduation. You'll oh, figure man. out a way to make it work. All number right. Seven. Are we on number seven? Yes. All right. Uh, giving up important social, occupational, or recreational activities because of substance use. Do you become a hermit? This again is that relationship with alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And this, here's the thing. Uh, I'm just going to try to do a little, it's not comedic relief, but I just got to jump it in there. I'm reading a book called Shantaram right now. Have you read it? No. Everybody I tell that I'm reading Shantaram, they're like, oh, Shantaram. Anyway, <laughs> this <gasps> book. Ram, I haven't this read it book, yet. I'm going to put it on my list. Oh. Put it on your list because this book has me giving up important social, occupational, and recreational activities <laughs> so that I can read it. It's a healthy addiction. It's a healthy addiction. Yeah. yeah. You can stop anytime. Okay, but... <laughs> I can stop anytime I want. So this is that thing, that relationship with alcohol again, where your relationship with alcohol finds a way to rise up to be first. Mm -hmm. And then other things, there's a quote that says, um, my sobriety has to come first so that everything I care about in life doesn't come last. Yes, that is drunk. so true. Yeah, I definitely felt like I could still make it to the gym, but, and things like that, that were important to me, definitely my job, but it definitely caused me to go inward slowly, socially, like, and it was a slow tapering off, like, well, I don't really care about that happy hour. I mean, it's cheaper to drink at home by myself with my husband and my kids and all that. And, you know, slowly it just became, well, now I'm drinking by myself all the time and I can't be bothered to do anything really, unless, and, oh, is there alcohol involved? No, I'm not going. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Never mind, for sure. And this is another one of those tricky things where you look at yourself and you go, you know, for me personally, it's like, look, I have all the things done at work. My kids have healthy lunches. They're to school on time. I exercise. I, I, I'm not missing. I, I don't have a substance problem because I'm checking all these boxes for, you know, the cultural script of doing life properly. And it's like, but are you, mm -hmm. are you choosing not to go to things because the alcohol is too expensive or they don't allow alcohol? Or I remember going, we have a movie theater that serves alcohol. And I remember going to see a kid's movie with my kids and they're like, well, we don't sell alcohol to the PG movies. Oh, and I was like, why? <laughs> Those are the people that need it the most. I'm going to be watching a cartoon. <laughs> That's disgusting. That's disgusting. Oh man. I probably would have been like, oh, you guys, let's go. I don't feel very no, I yeah. wouldn't have done that, but kids, I would we're going to see the Liam Neeson movie instead. <laughs> we're going to go see it too. Come on, second graders. Let's do it. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. You can handle the other side of this one too. <laughs> the other side of this number seven, giving up social, occupational, recreational activities because of substance use. What about the other side of it where it's you are engaging in activities that you wouldn't normally? So like I used to go to these stupid parties where these chicks would like have a jewelry party or mm. clothes. It's like a Tupperware party in your house because I knew there'd be free wine. Oh husband, yeah. He'd be at work. I'd go, babe, uh, just stay at work. You can work late. I'm going to take our daughter. We're going to go to Beth's house or Joni's house or whoever's house. And um, I go because there'd be free wine. Yeah. I didn't want to go to that. I didn't have money to spend on shit costume jewelry, but I'd go because <laughs> there's free wine. I know. That's why the wine tasting was like my Achilles heel. It was like my perfect thing that I wanted, you know, and it, it kind of fit the social bill. It was like, I'm still social. I mean, I go to wine tastings for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm not anti-social. I go oh, to my yeah. wine Oh, <laughs> yeah. Know. And I'm elite and educated. I'm I know. I'm a wine spectator. I, yes. I have uh, I'm getting educated. I'm getting formally great. trained yeah, as a um, passive sommelier. I used to live in wine country and I thought it was so cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's romantic, isn't it? All right. Who's, do you have, do you have number eight? Um, using substances again and again, even when it puts you in danger. This is another one too, that I feel like people will be like, ah, oh, doesn't apply to me. See, I've never gotten a DUI. I've never blacked out in public. I've never shat myself, all the things, you know, um, I've never gotten to a drunken brawl, even if like none of those things apply, you know, like, I mean, it's still dangerous. Like I think yeah. back to the situations that I put myself in and my children and I cringe, especially because my tolerance was so high that I was taking road sodas everywhere. So like, road places you don't even need to take road sodas you know I was just taking it along and if my kid grabbed like the, yeah. the tumbler and they were like can I have some water I'd be like that's not water what is that oh it's tea that was my always my go-to thing it's tea they must have thought I was drinking yeah. tea 24 7 because yeah, yeah. it's and so they can't drink tea right they can't drink that's, tea. that's one of my favorite things about being sober is my kids can always take a drink out of whatever I have I know, right? That, that's a crazy thing. It is. Um, and what you were saying, like, here's the thing is fish don't see the water they're swimming in. And so mm. I never thought that I was continuing to use a substance again and again, even though it put me in danger. Now from the outside, I see it. Yeah. And, you know, people in my life who I'm like, you should examine your alcohol's relationship with you. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Those people they don't see that. But from my vantage, I'm like, oh, that's putting you in danger. And for me, the biggest danger is your mental health. Yeah. Th that, that was the biggest danger for me. And Same. that's the danger I see for everyone else, you know? And, it's you know, true. if you haven't gotten a DUI, then maybe you don't, you know, that's was, that's the hard line. I haven't crossed that bit. Yeah. And I think it's, it's progressive as um, well. Like the mental health stuff, you know, I mean, you and I both had pretty dark mental health moments and not everybody has those. So they don't have a way to gauge mm -hmm. like their gauge is, 
did I harm someone else? You know, they're not looking at the time they spent all day puking because they drank the, the night before oh. as something that's damaging. They look at that as like, oh, we had a good night. That was a good night. That was a rite of passion. Amazing night, amazing night. I'm paying for it today, but that's fine. Everybody drinks to that level. Everybody gets sick. You know, when you start getting like violently ill, when you start gaining weight, yeah. when you start getting like elevated enzymes yep. in your liver, mm -hmm. all those things. It's, it, it's absolutely uh -huh. impacting your health. And even that people normalize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and even that far people go, well, this is just how life is. I'm old. Mm -hmm. This is, this is part of being alive. No one, you know, and I think there's really low levels of mental health that people just normalize right. and physical health that people That's just go, true. this is how I always feel. Yeah. Or so like, really I'm getting older. We're all that supposed one. to let our bodies go, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, especially yeah. if you surround yourself with oh, other Okay. Drinkers. Did you do number seven or did I, because I, Oh, we did number seven, giving up important social. There it is. Yeah. Okay. So did... is it your turn to do? I did eight. eight. And then okay. you... is it your turn to do number nine? Because I'm reading ahead and it's, it's, it goes along. Oh, okay. So this, this one piggybacks off of that one. And I feel like our conversation's going there. So I want to put it in Yeah. number nine, continuing to use, even when you know you have a physical or psychological problem that could have been caused or made worse by the substance. This yeah. is that thing that we're talking about. And for me, it's mental health and no, I could not see it when I was inside. And now that I'm on the outside, I'm like, holy shit. That was the weight on my ankles while I was at the bottom of the well. Yeah. I think there are some warning signs though that people can start to see. Like for instance, in hindsight, I see the warning signs that I missed, right? Like I would get sad when I would drink sometimes to excess and I would get really emotional and I would get withdrawn. I would get like um, confrontational sometimes. I'd start mm -hmm. arguments like and just but just the sadness yeah. turning inward thinking negatively about myself especially if i had drank too much when i planned not to yeah. or especially if i was getting berated yeah. by someone for drinking too much or if i was feeling self critical i would get sad yeah. and now in hindsight i can look at those sad moments and say wow i think i missed some red flags there because I was continually getting depressive, continually thinking yeah. negatively about myself. And those were all starting to accumulate. Mm -hmm. It was like, it was like I had a, a mm -hmm. whole bunch of demons in a closet that kept like multiplying, but I'd shut the door when I got sober. And then whenever I get drunk again, they'd all come out and be like, Hey, we're still in mm -hmm. here. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, I just, I, I had no mm -hmm. way of of knowing that they were going to keep showing up and, and, and so I just didn't address it. I didn't address yep. the mental health stuff because I didn't think, I thought it was just a passing moment. Everybody gets sad when they, they're sad drunks. I'm one of them, me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So two things, one of them, everybody knows alcohol is a depressant. Everybody knows that everybody knows it, but they don't really like think about that and the, the effects of it. Yeah. I Second, don't 
yeah, they don't know what it means, like that it actually slows down the nervous system and the functioning of our organs and brain activity and all that. And second, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And <laughs> if you're here in Sobertown, if you're, if you've, if you've walked into Sobertown, the city limits of Sobertown, please um, take a lap around and check out Todd's podcasts, hop onto the website, hit, um, check out his blog post because he has all of the so well laid out and beautifully read. I love his voice. Um, stuff about the scientific way that alcohol functions inside the chemistry and the physiological parts of our body and brain. And for me, that scientific stuff, it, it's, it's so compelling because you, you can't argue with it. So if you're here in Sobertown, go on a couple doors down, check out Todd, because uh, that's that thing. Um, another thing about what you were saying about how you shut the door on it and it's still in there, our boy Chef 56, he says, uh, alcohol is just a pause button. Yeah. You hit pause. And when you're done, that stuff comes right back to life. It, it, it starts playing again. You're not getting rid of it. You're not making it go away. You're just pausing. That's so true. And then there's the whole tolerance that, aspect. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Well, and like the thing that we're pausing, the thing that we're pausing, yes, it's that mounting pile of TPS reports that we have to do, but it's also what we're pausing is the physical and psychological problems that could be caused or made worse by the substance. Th those, that mental health thing where we feel negative or sad or angry or shameful. And we're like, Oh, let's get out of this. And I think too, right. Like, because alcohol does solve a very short term feeling of anxiety and stress for us that we do feel good when we first consume it. So that's super tricky because yeah. it's like solving a problem, creating a problem, solving a problem, creating a problem. And it's just this massive loop that just keeps continuing and until you kind of get to experiment with sobriety and you get it to take yourself out of that loop, you can't really see that you're in it. Yeah, totally. And I always say it, but dang it, when Annie Grace put it so clearly in that book called, um, what's it called? This Naked Mind. Like, yeah. This Naked Mind, Control <laughs> Alcohol. Um, <laughs> that, that just blew my hair back yeah. because I just never, ever conceived that the thing I was doing to get rid of those bad feelings was causing those bad feelings. And it was, it was bringing them back even stronger. Yeah. I mean, how, does. how would we know, right? Because we've got all this other advertising, all this other social proof swimming around us all day long, telling us that this is how people solve problems. This is how we de-stress. This is how we have fun that we have no way to know anything else until we start mm -hmm. searching for it because hopefully sobriety and, and living alcohol free mm -hmm. is going to traject more toward the mainstream. And I do think that it is, but still we have to come a long way for it to become, you know, so mainstream that we're not hearing all that noise and all that, you know, um, uh, yep. self-fulfilling motivation or what have you. Mm-hmm. That hype for sure. Hype. For sure. Yeah. And 
for me, for me, it's mainstream and it works for me. And like, I don't know if I have the goal of making everyone sober, but if it's something you're curious about, you know, welcome. This is your place. We are your people because it, it works for me. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Are you number 10? Needing more of the substance to get the effect you want. What did I write down about this? I wrote something funny. Maybe not. Oh, um, are you buying more booze? <laughs> That's how I looked at it because you know what? Like yeah. my tolerance was so high at the end that I could consume two bottles of wine throughout the day slowly. And I felt completely normal. Like I wouldn't have thought twice about yeah. driving your kid across town and because my tolerance was just that high yeah. at that point, it's really frightening when you look back yeah. at it. And it yeah. does make me wonder where would I have gone from there? Would I have gotten to three bottles of wine? Was that my next milestone? So you go from that $50 bottle of name droppable wine. Yeah. Okay. Whatever it is for you. And then your tolerance gets so high that it's not really economical anymore. Oh, and the yeah. next thing you know, you've got that black box <laughs> of wine, which everybody was like had during the COVID. Oh yeah. Quarantine, you know, the box of wine, because it's not logical for you to drink, to sustain your habit with that name droppable bottle. You're like, it's fine. And you yeah. just, I can't believe that this is already gone. And it's the glug glug. I found it was easier too to kind of distinguish both from others and myself, not distinguish, hide, (laughs) disguise, that's the word, how much I was Ah. consuming because it was just coming out of a box Mm -hmm. and nobody could see like the physical bottles being drained, you know, it was just the spigot and then I could just crumple it up when I was done and be done with it. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have to really see, oh, I've gotten through Um, And I think there was one point where I had like almost consumed like the whole box, which is four bottles in about like a day and a half. And I remember thinking like, you know, that's a, and I remember they must have labeled it wrong. I I know it was, it was what I was doing though. At the time, I couldn't imagine anything different. Like it just was what I was doing to feel normal, you know? And that's the problem when your tolerance gets so out of whack, it doesn't become pleasurable anymore. It becomes maintenance, you know, drinking becomes maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yep. And when you said to feel normal is it feels normal. Mm -hmm. It feels perfectly normal. It feels like it's ridiculous that we're even having this conversation because isn't that how much everyone drinks anyway? You know, like it feels normal. And then there's the withdrawals. <laughs> Everybody loves the withdrawals. <laughs> Development of withdrawal syndromes, which can be really Yeah, so, which I didn't realize, okay? When you say withdrawal symptoms, what do we think of? We think of somebody uh, laying on a bed of sheets, sweating profusely, gripping the sheets, trying not to shake, withdrawal, okay? I think of train spotting. Unfortunately, (laughs) the truth about withdrawal is what Annie Gray said this morning when you go, ugh, and you're anxious and you're depressed 
and you're a little bit like shameful and you think as soon as it's five o'clock and I get to wine, I'm going to, um, this, I I won't feel this way anymore. Yeah. That's withdrawal. That's withdrawal. That, that, that unease that you feel in the morning, that's withdrawal. That is the substance calling out for itself to be fed again. That's what that is. It's so true. I mean, I definitely noticed, thank God I never experienced the delirium tremens or whatever it mm-hmm. is, the hallucinations, but I have known people who have, and hearing about what that was like really scared me as well, but not enough to quit, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I mean, it's an addictive substance. Oh, it wasn't enough to quit. I'm not there yet. I know, right? Yeah. That's the thing. I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions too. You think you have control to put the brakes on at the optimal moment and that you're going to be able to forestall some sort of epic, you know, crash yeah. or catastrophe because you're in control. And that's like one of the biggest myths out there, I think, is that you really do have control and awareness enough to just be like, okay. And I mean, in some cases, like, I mean, I feel like I did Mm -hmm. recognize a line and once I crossed it, I didn't have a set line, but I, once I started feeling like suicidal thoughts, that's when I started getting really scared that this was going to be potentially life um, you know, life-taking for me. So that was something I couldn't, that's not even on the list, right? (laughs) When you're starting to see shit that isn't on the list. No, (laughs) you know, yes. Like I've said it so many times, but for me, it was that disconnection from myself, but I just thought that that's how everyone feels. You know, this is that thing where we have a vision of what a substance abuser looks like. And we think, well, that's not me. I'm the president of the PTA and all my things in my refrigerator are organic and I make it to my, you know, Pilates class. That's the myth that we're here to bust, that we're asking you to take a solid look at yourself, you know, without that view of that guy on a Tuesday, 10 strawberry nose. Yeah. I mean, that's so important. I feel like, you know, even if you're listening to these things and you don't align with half of them, you know, there are still takeaways because you don't have to be doing all these things to all that severity all the time to question whether or not alcohol fits into your world. Right. It's like, you don't have Mm -hmm. to check all the boxes. You don't have to be failing at your job. You don't have to be blacking out. You don't have to be holed up at home with two bottles of wine (laughs) every night. You know, you don't have to be diagnosed with alcohol use disorder, Mm -hmm. you know, pretty much the only criteria for deciding whether or not you want to remove alcohol from your life is asking yourself, am I achieving what I want? Am I putting myself on a path to become the best possible version of myself? Am I happy? You know, because when I started asking myself questions around the list, it was like, am I even happy anymore? Um, And I think that's when it's really important to take an honest look at who you want to be, where you want to go, and really looking at whether alcohol even fits into that anymore. Because, you know, the list is important to get a gauge and to get a sense, but 
it doesn't even, it kind of doesn't even matter really in a way. It matters because it's important, but the measuring stick is only so, so important, yeah. right? And it's, it's tactile. Yeah. 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 It's like, if you find yourself protecting your relationship with this substance, that's worth a look. And yeah. I feel like alcohol, it's, it's, um, it's like a gremlin because you, you bring it into your house. The, the society tells you to invite it into your home because it's going to be great. And then it just grows into something that you didn't sign up for. It, my mother-in-law said it, she goes, it creeps up on you. Yeah. And I just thought, hmm, is it, has it crept up on me yet? Cause you, you don't, you don't really see it. It's so and true. So it's, it's like a gremlin where you give it some water after midnight and then it's sort of taking up a lot of room in your life. Time-wise, space-wise, energy-wise. Those mogwais were so cute too in that movie. <laughs> I gotta go back and give that a watch. So yeah, let's go down the list one more time just so that people- Just to recap. Yeah, just to recap. We'll mm -hmm. go through it quick. Mm -hmm. And we, you're invited to look at yourself um, really candidly through this list and maybe do it on a one to 10. Right. So. Number one, taking the substance in larger, larger amounts or for longer than you're meant to. Number two, wanting to cut down or stop using the substance, but not managing to. Number three, spending a lot of time getting, using, or recovering from use of the substance. Number four, cravings and urges to use the substance. Number five, not managing to do what you should at work, home, or school because of the substance use. Number six, continuing to use even when it causes problems in relationships. Number seven, giving up important social, occupational, or recreational activities because of substance use. Number eight, using substances again and again, even when it puts you in danger. Nine, continuing to use even when you know you have a physical or psychological problem that could have been caused or made worse by the substance. Number 10, needing more of the substance to get the effect you want. Number 11, development of withdrawal symptoms, which can be relieved by taking more of the substance. So I'm going to punctuate this list with a quote by Pema Chodron. It is this, the most fundamental harm we can do is to remain ignorant by not having the courage and respect to look at ourselves honestly and gently. Wow, that's really powerful. We hope you join us again on our next episode of Sober Baddies, where we'll hope be tackling this. other amazing topics, unraveling them a bit, poking holes in them, talking them out, hopefully giving you, the listener, more insights, more things to think about, because we don't have all the answers, but maybe sometimes raising questions will help you come to your own answers about your alcohol-free journey. Totally. Get your leather jacket get your studded boots or whatever it is for you and join us on this journey as a sober baddie, because this is a place where you get tools on your journey. This is about your journey.